Blog Talk Radio.
you know, often you get this pretty goody model and um you wanted to bring in always bring in the shadow aspects of everything and that created totality. And that really you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty much enough. Well it's depressive I'm talking about you feel it's like pornography. You know it when you see it. <laughs> you know it when you see it. When you feel depressed, move. Um, so when we, when we face things in ourselves that are uncomfortable, when we, it's kind of like there's, um, when the ego gets fed and gets inflated, um, often it can have a superior, superior to us. And it doesn't like to be challenged. It doesn't like to be, for instance, to face its own faults and weaknesses and things like that. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the The union basically feel that if you're not going to hurt yourself, somebody else, then uh, then that that's you're know, putting in your process. And outside of yeah. Yeah. And but he would say that that's a part of the dark side of the self. That sometimes the self can overwhelm the person so intensely that it can lead to their self destruction or it can lead to psychotic them going psychotic. So he would he talks about the ego self axis. And that's what this is another uh, difference with Eastern philosophy that um in the East, they always sort of try to diminish the self, uh, I mean the ego, and there's a great worshiping of, of in, I live in India, and in India you can see Sadhu, uh, people who devote themselves to their spiritual life, who like totally reject the body, try so much to, uh, they reject the material world and are so entranced with the self, with the divine world that they'll mortify their flesh and they'll whip themselves and go around naked and mean themselves in actors and they just bathe the whole time and, and uh you know, they will even you know, like and eat their fecal matter and say, you know, everything is equal to me, everything is God. So I would say that that and and they're revered as holy men. But you know, I would say that that's an example of how in that culture the self is there's a little bit imbalanced. There's there's so much of spirituality in that culture. And what we need in the world, I think, now is a balance to East and West. And in the West, we're so into ego and accomplishments and into the material world. So Jung talks about this balance of uh, access and that you always want to keep a healthy balance uh, on, the, on that. And that you want to have a strong, healthy ego. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily inflated or there's a difference between being egotistic and being uh, an inflated ego versus having a strong and healthy ego. And he thinks that that's essential for your development and the journey towards wholeness. Uh, getting back to this uh, alchemical model, after you said if the water is flowing and it doesn't freeze up, then you get to, after the darkness of the grado, is albedo, white, white 
you can move and you um, you have a new sense of uh, purpose and meaning and stuff. And so this is not the final stage. And one of the uh, things they precaution they they like often a person will in their analysis at that stage. But it's not the, the final stage, and so often it can kind of be also that it's the beginning uh, of, uh, uh, of, the, of the process, but not the end. So there you move into what's called the citronata phase, like yellow, and that's kind of like the pregnancy stage. And so this can be frustrating too because you're, you're waiting and you planted the seed, but you have to go through this. You know, kind of the dweller on the threshold, one of the descriptions of that phase. And, you know, the, the hanged man card in the tarot deck. So it's a really frustrating phase. But the final phase is the rubedo phase, when it so this is the red phase, and so it's like passion and for life, like living with all of dynamism and all of life. And, um, so young, so that's like the alchemical model, and you know, wrote tons of volumes on uh, alchemy, and really got in. He thought that this was a, a model of spirituality, and was tapping into a Western tradition where it was uh, getting a more directly from the un- spiritual model, directly from people's unconscious versus was dogmatic and rigid religious models had become very. Um, what kind of therapeutic techniques to create to create to do that? So, um, uh, getting to know yourself, and uh, so if if you know, it's interesting when he died, said that the future he felt was in somatic psychology that that getting into the body and there's, you know, and his, he died in the beginning of the 60s and there's been a lot of development of that. Um, but his type of analysis was a lot of um, introspection and dialoguing, um, telling your story. Uh, so in your analysis, one of the things, you pay a lot of your attention to your dreams, to have a dialogue with the unconscious and to read the symbols and um, also telling one story, the, the therapeutic effect, which we also now see incorporated in so many different dimensions and, you know, great books like The Artist's Way and the power of, of writing out a story and this uh, very therapeutic effect of being seen, of being heard, of being acknowledged, having one's story heard and acknowledged. And it's very healing and liberating for the different traumas and things that we've been through in our lives when we're able to share that with another person. There, he also talks about transference and countertransference. There's the healing. He views a therapist as a healer, or even more, you know, more like an exorcist than the traditional psycho Freudian psychoanalysis. His his view, Freudian is analyzing and like trying to put pieces together and then put put the puzzle back together back to the earliest childhood thing. And Jung was not 
and worried about or focused as much on early childhood. He he thought that being in the moment, that all of life is a process, and you're constantly in that process, and that um, you, and in his view, it's that analytical synthesis, that the, the therapist needs to use their intuition to help uh, understand the dream, and that all this is um, more of a holistic understanding of the person than that. And for instance, with dreaming, it's uh, authoritative uh, person to interpret their dreams. The therapist helps them, and but you are going to know more than anyone else what your dreams are saying to you, and what the unconscious associations are. And um, so there's um, uh, that's another part of the mix in the bottle. We yeah, and that's, you know, it can be incredibly therapeutic just to have um, what they call a reflective listening and just to have a person talk to a person and to have that person reflect back what they're saying. You know, just using that technique alone, people have very powerful therapy uh, being heard that I get from other things that what I lay my hands on, the, the 
people's energy that I come in contact with, even the food that I eat will sometimes, I believe, generate in a dream state a totally disjointed dream sequence that is part of that other person's uh, makeup. Because when I use kinesiology, significant if I had just yes or no questions. And then I asked uh, what's I getting input, you know, from an external source that I've been recently in contact with. And the answer was yes. That through empathy, psychometry, whatever, you know, I was picking up, you know, aspects of the person that prepared the food because when I prepare my own food, it's it's energized and I don't have the same dream pattern you know, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, things like that are you know, becoming more prevalent. And now that I'm aware of it, using that shadow aspect, I can separate it instead of thinking, you know, what is this you know, crazy dream of that? Spend time analyzing it. I just am now relegated that to uh, an external influence, which dreams often are, but you know, they uh, be significant or not. One the way you want to talk about it. Dreams come from the unconscious mind in the language of the unconscious mind. So that the ego consciousness can't readily read that language. It's a different language. And that's part of what a lot of the, the work that you do with a therapist is uh, therapist can help a person uh, with uh, different kinds of uh, thinking about associations and amplifying the different symbols and the different techniques that are used to help the person get into that unconscious language. And that language and the, the unconscious is more in touch with the instinct and with the, with the archetypes and all those different uh, levels. And so in that way, it can be this incredible feedback mechanism that, um, like, with the uh,
and the guy was a mountain climber, and he only won, and this was uh, one of the three this kind of thing. But the patient didn't listen, and he stepped off into air. So there's a lot of these traditions that talk about little dreams and big dreams, and there's various times in life that have really big dreams that are huge messages that can be kind of anchoring uh, symbols of your personal mythology, important uh, milestones of your story that really reflect important symbols and important themes. Um, another interesting uh, idea is about compensation. Because so much of life is unconscious, we're acting unconscious. We're not necessarily aware of our motivations or our intentions. And a lot of what people do is try to compensate for different things in their life. And, um, and it's usually unconscious compensation. So a lot of uh, like macho people might actually kind of feel insecure, so they ignore to compensate. They act like they're super tough, and, and so that's going on all the time. And it points to this the unconscious dynamic. And um, the really interesting aspect that Ian talks about there's this concept of anti-adromia. The psyche is always seeking balance. And if you go too far in one extreme, but then the psyche is going to uh, swing back and you're going to want to compensate. And um, and often that's stuff that comes in from the shadow material. But So, for instance, in the Catholic priests and stuff you see who are pedophiles, they're trying consciously to be so good and to be so pure and perfect and not have sexual impulses for this or that. And then it becomes up in another form. Um, so um, it's kind of like a figure eight. It's, uh, it's, it's, I was thinking about like Latino culture. Uh, I worked in, uh, in part of DC, um, Mount Pleasant, and there's a lot of Latino there. In that culture, uh, they consciously they'll whistle and they'll be really aggressive and quite crude to, like, women who are walking by. So consciously, they have kind of a quite crude view of women. But unconsciously, then they consummate this very pure Madonna image of the women. And so there's, so this is kind of the principle, but you consciously, and this also relates to kind of part of the shadow material I got in touch with, with, uh, when I was talking about my, own midlife crisis and stuff. It's like, like Ying says, one of the, the myths of modern man is that where there's a will, there's a way. Because we have so much of ourselves that's unconscious. And in fact, what we consciously conflate in our mind, we're unconsciously conflating its opposite in our unconscious mind. Because there's always going to be this balancing effect in your face. And um, but that's part of the wisdom then of trusting your instinct and trusting the unconscious and uh, allowing for greater space like that. Um, so this whole idea of conversation is really fascinating to see that dynamic. I see that a lot of my life. 
there's something wrong. It's just like I always know that if I, I find whatever going to some extreme on one side, it always does that. It always swings one of the other way. And then I usually learn something from that. And I kind of learn how to even that out and balance it. And I always, I see that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. But I always know I'm going to come out of it good because if it goes one way, I go, okay, I know. <laughs> There's the other side. And I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, There's a famous saying about like, oh, Uh, 
hear that dialogue. It's, uh, one of the views kind of is that, that life is a conversation. The views on reincarnation or God or this or that. It's like part of how people get frozen in their life is they're unwilling to dialogue and discuss. And, you know, this is maybe if, if you don't have the application to world peace and to greater understanding, you know, particularly at the age of terrorists. And, you know, why would people be terrorists? Why would they want to go and blow themselves up? How can they be so frustrated? You know, maybe there's some dialogue that's not happening and, um, you know, when people become dogmatic and people become rigid, often, you know, some dialogue shuts down so that um, reading psychology is all about everything is a conversation. And, uh, the questions are more important than the answers. The answers will always be shifting in your life. Life is a process. Um, often, that's something, you know, very emphasized in the whole grail search of a theory of life. The importance of the, importance of the questions and knowing the right questions. Thank you, Dr. Exactly where their buttons are. 
really twisted, but <laughs> and um, so part of it's like water, uh, motions of water that's always flowing. You can be in the moment and say, you know, uh, I'm really angry when you do that, uh, and you can own your feelings. Like, I'm feeling really hurt and angry right now, and it's very scary for me to talk about this, and uh, you know, I know, particularly when you can admit the fault of your own. So I know that I get overwhelmed, that I get out of control, get angry like that. Uh, and so when you can just own and identify your feelings and say it from the I position, um, it's very disarming and it's very opening up the conversation and to be uh, some, you know, real way to deepen relationships, you know, as part of uh, you know, we learn about ourselves in the mirrors and uh, it's also a lot of the shadow information stuff we find out about relationships. Did he mention anything about his relationship uh, with her? I guess he was married a long time but also had a mistress for a long time that he outgrew one and needed the other to balance down. Uh, yeah, he talked about how he, the one coming wolf was kind of like amused that she was, that his wife was sort of a more of a motherly figure and that Tony Wolf was sort of more uh, teaching him about his feminine side. That's what he described it. But, um, and uh, another shadow side here asked me about my. I started to realize that one of the archetypes that I was dancing with, the channeling, whatever, uh, is the the Puer returner. And so there's Puer and there's Puella, male or female, but it's basically the the Peter Pan archetype. Um, you know, rock stars or classical squares type personalities. Where it's also the the archetype of the divine child. And so all the different archetypes they have their it's like the instinct. They have their their archetypes are viewed as neutral. That through the complexes each complex has an archetype at its core. Through the archetype that we get in touch with the numinous, that we get in touch with the the dimension of the self. And um, so some of the positive sides of the square trans is the divine child, place of um, innocence and purity and, uh, you know, this dark statues of the baby Buddha or the Jesus in the manger or, you know, blood love symbols of the divine child. Uh, but some of the shadow aspects of it is not wanting to take responsibility and never wanting to go out without wanting to face uh, difficult you know, commitments and difficult, you know, different things. So, uh, uh, so there's a lot of different um, archetypes. Um, there's a union named Robert Moore who's written a lot about the, the four, four main archetypes of male psychology. I think they probably apply to the female psychology also, although maybe there would be other ones that would be included. Um, 
a lot of work with Robert Bly and Min Wu, and you know, they go off and go to that student domain and uh, love work trying to figure out what it needs to be next in the natural body and stuff. So you talked about the archetype of the king, the archetype of the magician, the lover, and the archetype of the warrior. So he would say that each of us have those aspects within us, and they might be more or less developed, they might be more or less conscious or unconscious, and that the more we can try to develop and make conscious and work with those different archetypes, and each, so each of those will have shadow aspects also. So like uh, Richard Nixon is a really good example of shadow king, <laughs> abusing power and trying to because you all this and um what do you want to say? Yeah, right. <laughs> More contemporary. <laughs> well and uh then a uh shadow magician might abuse their occult powers or do some different side of that is the uh, mystical mystic and someone is able to delve into the uh more uh transcendent uh, magical side life and in the, the lover uh, uh, in touch with Eros and relationships we relating to other people and having like deep connection and then the shadow side would be like sexual addiction so, uh, and actually all addiction which we would say come out of lover archetype we, we take food we take food even you would say that so, for instance, people who have food addiction, they're having a love relationship with the food. Whatever, whether it's sexual addiction or drug addict or drug, okay. drug addict, and using drugs as their lover. Uh, you know, that's what I'm satisfied. Whatever the addiction is, you know, it's a different thing. If you define anything about the, you know, the midlife crisis, which is uh, it's only now I'm hearing it now that I'm 50. Or and I don't know if I missed the same thing or not. Uh, yeah, we didn't like anyway. Four children and all the stuff that goes on. Yeah, it's different He would say usually it doesn't happen until at least 35, 40. There's one union uh, lecture who talked about that at age 40, uh, a lot of clients he worked with received um, defenses, people's psychic defenses break down and often disease or different things will break through often around that age. Well, we all have this I remember seeing Ennis Cosby on a show. She said, if you're paying attention when you turn 40, things start coming together. And that was more my experience. Was that I started understanding more things when I was 40. And it's just been continuing since then. You know, wow. Everything, it's like almost like magically at 40, everything started to make sense. All the things that I questioned or struggled with, it all just started getting better and better and better. And that's right. like more of what I remind. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people say that with women, it's mm-hmm. And with men, it might be after the children have grown up and, you know, well, in the exercise. I, I can you know, go through the physical journey process that I'm already going to on the shaman's way, but mm-hmm. I want to visit the places that I see in my dreams. So when did, when did you start getting really interested in the esoteric stuff? Well, I took the silver method in 97. How old are you? 47. Yeah, so 
probably, you know, in, in sometimes in the 40s, 40, 45, might have been. Usually, the first part of life, uh, driving is first. there's two main things that people sort of need to accomplish in their life. One is to have, have some expression of their life that they feel they've accomplished, so some outer accomplishment, and then some inner connection to what is something called the transcendental function, to something that gives meaning and fulfillment in life. So often people who are totally, solely focused on the externals of life find that sometime during midlife that those things become dry, that uh, part of the, the juice and the competition and the motivation they had is young, and they thought, you know, when they had their two cars uh, and their all these possessions and this and that, they'd be happy, and then they accomplish those, and they find that it's not making them happy, and they start kind of searching for deeper aspects and for what will be that connection to something more spiritual. You know, a lot of men in their mid-40s are in that place right now, and they're all wanting to get out of there. <laughs> they're going, I said, but didn't you get everything you wanted? Didn't you want the house? Didn't you want the kids? Didn't you, yeah. Well, didn't you get everything you wanted? Yes. But I'm not. And I'm really getting what I don't have to worry about. Yeah. And that's a lot of times when it's aggressive, then uh, it, it just turns into chasing and, uh, you know, diversion rather than facing. So that's part of, you know, and maybe that's part of Prozac Nation, but people aren't willing to go in and maybe look at some of those hard issues that they haven't faced and uh, things like that. So it's just, so yeah. yeah. And that's so that's part of you said that's part of that midlife from the midlife perspective. And it's something you can tell with somebody now, but they won't get it until they get there and then they can look back and they they have this visual understanding of how quick time goes and how short time life is and they can see their body starting to break down and that they, they understand it visually. Society is 
somewhat out of balance in the logo kind of way. Bring in the more of the arrow. Raising generations that are more in contact with more in relationship with the machines that they are for their human beings and yeah. And um there's the section of holding the tension of the opposite that as we talked about how things split and the polarize and uh, one of the descriptions of, of borderline personality is somebody who sees everything in a black and white world. They can't tolerate shades of gray and um, things that aren't clear in that way. And part of what happens as we grow, uh, you know, there's, there's a great um, model of, dia- of dialectic comes out of Hegel and influence Marx, and it's a really powerful intellectual concept because it really describes movement. All movement happens ways by force. Everything, nothing moves in a straight line. Everything goes up and down, you know, in a way. So, um, so that vibration, also, you know, that moves, everything is like that. Matter, everything. Is, and so, even so, your movement, even if you're you're moving up towards the archetype and stuff. It's also it's, it's not going to be a straight line. And uh, as as when you break down that wave, it starts with uh, there's uh, when you get to the bottom, it's it's halfway down. There's the thesis, and and there's the top. Anyway, in one part of it there's the thesis, and then that polarizes. This polar opposite is the antithesis. It's polar opposite, and as they clash and they meld and they interact, out of that becomes the synthesis, a wave. That everything is moving in a wave-like fashion, and every wave is dialectical. And part of uh, this sort of like when I was saying, digest your suffering, being willing to hang out, because part of the, the you know we we're also so impatient that we want. And I find that, that, that in the alchemical phase, there's the pregnant phase, and there's the phase where you just need to, if you, if you just hang out and wait and allow for the emergence of the new synthesis. But it's painful to, that's part of the ego strength, and yeah. And they call it like holding the opposite, allowing, you know, we want things to be one way, kind of like what I was saying about the answer, sort of thing. So often people will cling on to one answer, but to hold them both. Okay, that's the end of that recording. Um, and so I was just talking there about the importance of holding both sides, and really it's the symbol of the crucifixion, uh, the tension of the opposite. So we, we, we can understand two sides of a situation, and then you wait and you allow the third thing to arise. And that waiting period is a often torturous, difficult period that um, <clears throat> is, that's the difficult uh, phase to get through. But that's where um, the new can emerge and um, there's a lot of importance given to that so yeah that was that talk 
um, you can listen to the other part um, to go to archives and listen to last week's show. Um, if you have any questions, um, feel free to press one and get on the call queue. I can see there's someone who's been waiting. And uh, let me unmic you. Hi there. Um, how you doing? Uh, did you, what did you think of that? Did you have any thoughts or ideas or questions about that material? Or how are you doing? Um, and this is the, the person, you've been on hold for a long time um, from the 360 area code. Can you hear me? You were, uh, oh, yeah, I can hear you. Hi there. How are you doing? I was just basically listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, did you have any thoughts or comments that got stimulated by what you were hearing? Actually, I was <laughs> kind of distracted and I didn't hear Okay, good. That's a good way to to bring it in. Just let it flow over you. It'd be like the unconscious. That's I like that method of very union in a way. So fine. Okay, I just wanted to check about that because uh, you were in the call queue, and um, so uh, I want to thank folks for listening. And uh, we'll go out with a song by the Kennedys from their album Better Dreams and this song is Breathe Happy Holidays everybody Um, great time to have gratitude in your heart and um, count our blessings and um, all the best Take a